Today, I want to talk about how I was mentioned on the Growth Busters podcast. Actually, uh, they read an email that I sent to them, and I want to start off. I love the Growth Busters documentary. I helped fund it to make it free online, and I've linked to it in the notes. I highly recommend watching it. I watched it many, many years ago, and I found it one of the most valuable and watch it. I mean, he really, Dave, who produced it and directed it and starred in it, he really gets it. Uh, I listen to every episode of their podcast. They know I love them. I love their message. And I'd only comment on them out of love and support for them. So they quoted on me on, on that email that I sent them. And I have to comment back. Also, for, for the history, they've hosted me on the podcast. Uh, Dave Gardner has been on mine. We've become friends. And we have many mutual friends uh, and colleagues who agree on the environmental problems that more solar panels and more windmills will not solve these problems. It's deeper than that. It's cultural. We have to change our values or, or bring out values that are already there, but we haven't been acting on for a long time. They're very serious about what they do. They're also fun and funny, plus geeky, so like me. In a recent episode, number 69, coincidentally, for the immature out there like me, they read an email that I sent commenting on a previous episode's guest. That guest, the previous guest, had reduced his consumption based on what I see as one among many environmental problems, global warming, trying to consume little enough that if everyone lived the way that he did during this experiment, that we would keep to 1.5 degree Celsius warming planet-wide. And he's, uh, he wrote a book about it. Regular listeners will see my problems with this. The small one, why look at only one thing and one thing that's a symptom at that? Global warming results from our behavior, which results from our beliefs, images, role models, stories, what adds up to culture. If we don't change our culture, we'll resist and push back on living what we consider deprivation, sacrifice, burden, chore, and all these other things, deforestation, ocean acidification, people being displaced from their land, all these other things. People see them as separate. They throw up their hands. Oh, there's so many things. I can't handle them all. But when you see that they all come from our behavior, which all comes from our culture, it's one thing. That's why I describe it as a symptom. But the big one is why present living sustainably as deprivation, sacrifice, burden, and chore in the first place? It's not. As you know, I've improved my life by dropping my footprint over 90% in under three years. It's something that anyone can do, although everyone thinks that they can't, but I'll get to that in a second. More importantly, I recognize that most of the 300,000 years of Homo sapiens history, we've lived sustainably, our ancestors, that is. And yet more important than that, I've learned that our ancestors didn't live on the verge of starvation or working nonstop. If you think of serfs in medieval times living in mud, it wasn't like that, except when human culture made it that way. Most of the time, I'm not going to say things were paradise, but we, our ancestors, faced challenges. But cultures that ours colonized, most of the time, they lived with higher values of longevity, health, stability, resilience, and things that we value. And I want to stress that if you use computers, drive a car, fly, order takeout, then you are a part of this culture. It doesn't matter what your cultural background was. If you're part of this culture, you're part of this culture, and you don't have to be. You can at least try to live sustainably and exit that culture. Otherwise, as long as you pay for unsustainable things, ordering takeout, flying, things like that, you're helping drive that culture, that system. All right, I've been preparing you for the clip. Here's the clip from that podcast, reading my email. The next set of listener feedback we have is in response to our episodes where we interviewed Lloyd Alter. He's the, the writer of Living a 1.5 Degree Lifestyle. Those were episodes number 66 and number 67. We'll link to those in the show notes. We received an email from Josh Spodek. He's the host of This Sustainable Life podcast. We'll also link to his podcast. 
He wrote, I got your email while listening to your latest podcast. As always, I enjoyed it, though not sure why he stopped at a 1.5 degree lifestyle or only focused on climate change. Why not go for full sustainability? He started to find the joy, fun, and freedom in living sustainably, but still seemed to feel he was giving things up from the polluting world. He left unexplored the rest of a world of more joy, fun, and freedom. I predict if he ever chooses to embrace not polluting, he'll find each step gets easier, leading to more and more steps. I'll bet he'll look at his practice of buying Apple products as an addiction he'll feel liberated from when he kicks it wishing he had stopped earlier, and maybe even feels disgust for. Instead of buying an expensive dishwasher for durability and lamenting sustainability is more for the rich, not buying one at all, and learning to conserve water by not dirtying as many dishes or whatever solution works, as people lived without dishwashers for hundreds of thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, that's Josh for you. He is very good at really living a small footprint lifestyle. A hero. So he's expecting more. Yep. And we need people to lead by that example. I found him to be very inspirational. I've shared his TEDx talk with some of my friends who are also endeavoring to lead you know, smaller lifestyles. And so I think that's really great. I do think that we should give ourselves a little bit of a break. And, <laughs> and there's like a spectrum, right, of being extreme and being more middle ground. And I think we should all be taking steps to reduce, 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 but it can be, I think, a slower process. And, and there are trade-offs, right? Like there are time savings and, uh, you know, by some calculations, there might even be some footprint savings by running an efficient dishwasher instead of hand-washing dishes. I just, you know, I think we should take this into consideration and, encourage as many people to go to those extremes as as are willing to but i think it's also okay for lloyd to set the example of a 1.5 degree lifestyle that many many people are not even close to and he can inspire those people that that aren't willing to take this the leap right to the josh spodek lifestyle yeah there's always more you can do so the first step is to hold lloyd up as a hero and see if you can't get to that point but if you get there don't rest on your laurels keep going you know, and it's unfortunate. We probably wouldn't have to be trying so hard. You know, if there were just 2 billion people on the planet, we wouldn't have to work so hard at it. But there's nearly 8 billion people on the planet. So we have got to work really hard to shrink the consumption side of that sustainability equation until we get the human numbers down to a more reasonable level. Yep. A few comments. First, I loved Dave's laugh at, there's Josh for you. He's really good at living a small footprint lifestyle. Dave knows me and how I live. It was a friendly laugh. He knows I listen to every episode, so he knows that I was going to hear that. I like that. It made me laugh too. Now, when they said lead by that example, I am not leading by example. Experience has taught me that people can look at someone doing what they could and lie to themselves that they can't, that there's something special about me that I can do something they can't or something special about them that they can't because lying to themselves is easier than facing the guilt and shame of having hurt people if they were responsible for it. But believing themselves helpless means that they can believe that they aren't responsible and can keep doing what they were doing and not acting, not changing, not changing culture. What am I doing if I'm not leading by example and doing all these things? I'm living by my values. I'm happy if people see me as a role model and copy me, but I don't expect it and I don't count on that. I lead by other ways, 
the Spodic method or the AIM method now the, for authentic intrinsic motivation. There is leadership that I do, but living by my values simply opens a door that enables me to lead. It is not leadership itself. The other big thing, describing what, I, what I'm doing as being extreme. This is the quote that I have to comment on. And it will lead, I believe, to out of love, tough love, a gut check, possibly with Dave and Stephanie. To say one's behavior is extreme is it's a statement about values, as is the statement about middle ground or balance. Everyone is extreme by someone else's views. They are extreme by Newt Gingrich's standards. Should they balance his values with theirs? Nobody calls me extreme for using zero heroin or killing zero people, but zero is as extreme as I can go. I can't go to negative on those, so I'm as extreme as could be. But when people share the values, they don't call it extreme. Everyone I talk to says that they are also balancing, no matter how much they pollute, that extreme is just too much for them. What are you balancing with If one side is sustainability, what's on the other side of that balance? How can the answer be anything but growth and unsustainability? People will say what feels like, oh, they're balancing family, work, making money, but it doesn't change that they are fueling growth and driving the system that we are trying to change. Nobody said changing systems is easy, but systemic change begins with personal change. If the people promoting the change aren't themselves changing, How can we blame anyone for also not changing? Just because they pollute more doesn't change that they're also balancing sustainability with something else. Our greatest challenge today is not finding theoretical solutions on degrowth. I can give you dozens of plans that would work if more people agreed with them, but they don't because they're balancing other values, saying those who want to live sustainably are extreme, which is what I'm told by everyone, but in particular what they commented. If we want others to live by values like sustainability and stewardship, how can we influence them if we spout the same excuses and reasons that they do? If they hear us live by growth, why shouldn't they? What's the difference? It's just a little bit. They're balancing their values. Every person who resists degrowth agrees that they prefer clean air, land, food, and water to polluted, and nearly all say they have to balance, not be extreme. Again, I would only ask this challenging question of what's the difference between them balancing and us balancing. After I discovered that every step towards sustainability, while often hard at first, improved my life. And there's nothing special about me, no matter how much you want to say that I'm somehow a different human being. There's nothing special about me in how being humble to nature reveals our shared humanity, what we love and makes us thrive. When I hear someone say that I'm extreme, now I'm not a parent, so this is what it sounds like to me. It sounds like calling a parent who changes their child's diaper every time, as soon as they know it needs changing, calling them extreme. But every parent that I ask changes the diaper as soon as they know, within seconds of finding out that they know the baby's diaper needs changing, they change it right away. Parents change their lives far more than I have when they have their babies. In all my sustainability work, I've never gotten someone else's poop on me. I haven't paid tens of thousands of dollars for someone else's education, all the work that they have to do. In fact, if you own a pet, Or if you garden, you've changed your life more than I have. If you own a car, you've sacrificed more. If you eat takeout or McDonald's, you spend more on your indulgences than I do on my basics. There's another quote. It's okay for Lloyd to set an example of living a 1.5 degree lifestyle that many, many people aren't close to. My point, I mean, I'm living my values, but the reason I share this with others is not the logistics of how to do it nor above the level of logistics. It's not about tactics, strategy, or mission. I I do talk about those things. But above all, it's about our values, 
and our character. No one raises their kid halfway because we do it out of love and passion and joy and fun and all sorts of reward that I have come to expect to come from living sustainably. Everyone knows it'll come with raising your kids, no matter how much poop, vomit, injuries, failing grades, all those challenges, family life, you know it's worth it. Believe it or not, it's worth it on sustainability. Whatever feels like sacrifices ahead of time, it's that much more reward when you achieve it. My goal is to help people live by values of stewardship and freedom that our culture has led us to suppress so much that we think we should balance them with dishwashers and flying to vacations. If you want to experience the world, get rid of your bucket list. If you want to love your family, don't fly to visit them rarely. If you live far away from them in the first place, it's probably because of flying. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm pushing too hard on them or anybody else. On the contrary, I believe that all of us, when we switch cultures from unsustainable, from growth, to growth busting, to sustainably, we will wish we had earlier. Am I overstating myself or speaking out of ignorance, not being a parent, that I feel like I'm suggesting to a parent who abuses their child that they'll prefer not abusing it? I don't want to suggest that nature or earth are human children, and I certainly don't want to suggest that abusing nature is like abusing a child, but man, we are abusing nature. When you pursue sustainability enough, you go through many transitions. One big one is from thinking of yourself first. And this is how virtually everyone, when they say, but I, but I want to see my family to justify flying, or but I had a headache, an NYU student of mine, that's why she said she bought bottled water. She was, you know, I don't want to buy bottled water, but I had a headache. When we commit to living sustainably, we switch from putting ourselves first and thinking of, but I want, but I want, but I want, but I want, to thinking of the people displaced from their land, actually helpless to stop our pollution from entering their lungs, their stomachs, their arteries. We put others first. It's a wonderful place to be. I think that's a, we are a social species. It's really a fantastic change that, yes, you are not going to get to all the places on your bucket list. Actually, you're going to experience nature more. If I sound uncompromising, it's because nature is uncompromising. Too many people measure their sustainability action by how much they feel like they tried. That's part of why they say it's so hard, so that every little bit counts for so much. But there are two things to counter this. One, nature doesn't respond to your feelings. It responds to your actions. And in this regard, how much did you pay for pollution is the main question. Not how much did you feel like you did or how hard did you try, but how much did you pay for people to extract fossil fuels out of the ground, to make PFOAs, to make pollution? That's the main question, along with how much did you pay to displace people from their land and killed wildlife to extract from it? Exxon, Trader Joe's, Apple, and all these other huge polluters, they can't do anything without our money. They can pick a direction they want to go in, but they can't pay for it until we buy from them. Whether you believe that you can change systems or not by your individual actions, how much you're helping drive that system is a matter of values and character. Whether you can change other people or not, how much are you willing to pollute? How much are you willing to drive a system that pollutes, that displaces people from the land, that destroys wildlife? So if I sound uncompromising, I'm only expressing nature's lack of compromise. If we could bend the laws of nature sometimes, maybe I would. But actually, living by nature is wonderful. So the second reason I sound uncompromising is that it's not hard. It only looks hard until you commit and sweat the withdrawal. Yes, you will go through some withdrawal. It's like going to another culture. If you live in the U.S., and you try to live partly like some other culture, say partly Japanese, it's kind of hard. 
if you live in Japan and try to retain your Americanness, it's hard too. But if you just decide to switch to live in that culture and live that way, it becomes easy again. And that's what we had the opportunity to do. And it's joyful. It's awesome. It's incredible. It's not hard. It's easy. It's so easy that our ancestors did it for 300,000 years as Homo sapiens without even the wheel. How hard could it be to live in nature? There's an animal that we actually call the sloth. That's how easy it is to live in nature. You can be completely slothful. I mean, not totally, but the, actually the sloths, I looked this up. Apparently they split from whatever animals closest to them 28 million years ago. And they lived fine for something like 28 million years. And then in the past, something like 10,000 years, they started, many of these species started going extinct. So living a slothful lifestyle, you can still handle nature, but not humans. And why would we think that our behavior would only affect other animals, but not ourselves? But back to us and how easy it becomes when you commit. And don't say, but I have to balance unsustainability with sustainability. I know it sounds like you're balancing spending time with family and your work and things like that. But when you commit, it becomes easy. And I'll close with one of my favorite quotes, often attributed to Goethe. You'll have to look up who it comes from, but I have it here. Until one is committed, there's hesitancy, the chance to draw back. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there's one elementary truth, that ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no man could have dreamed would have come his way. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Every time I commit to something hard, it's amazing how this happens every single time. It will happen when you commit because I know that once you commit, it gets easier and easier and easier and you don't have to keep trying to balance unsustainability with sustainability. I know it won't feel like balancing unsustainability. It will feel like balancing spending time with family, all these other things. It's still driving that system. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it.